The Rangers purge continues and head coach David Quinn is the latest victim. Newly appointed president and general manager Chris Drury fired Quinn and most of his assistants Monday to officially clean house. We'll dive into Quinn's first NHL coaching gig, the upcoming search for a new bench boss, and what players the Rangers need this offseason as the post's Larry Brooks drops by. And our special guest this week is former Ranger Brandon Dubinsky. All that and more is next on the season two finale of Up in the Blue Seats from the New York Post. Ladies and gentlemen, we ask that you direct your attention to Center Ice for a special presentation. Welcome to the season two finale of the Up in the Blue Seats podcast, our New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts, catch up on all episodes, all of our terrific guests from this season on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google. But before we go into the offseason, give us a nice five-star rating, write in a positive review on Apple Podcasts. We surely do appreciate it. We'll be back with episodes in the offseason when big Rangers news hits, whether that's they get a new coach They make a big move. Draft time. We'll have some special emergency episodes of Up in the Blue Seats coming this summer. But joining us this week, of course, is Larry Brooks of the New York Post as he breaks more news this week as the Rangers have fired Coach Quinn. will also be joined by former Ranger Brandon Dubinsky. But now, here they are, your stars of the show, New York Post own Molly Walker. And Rangers great, number 10, Ron Duguay. Well, thank you, Jake. And yes, it's the last show for a little bit, but my goodness, I don't want it to end. There's so much action going on. Recently, president and manager gone. Now, Coach Quinn and the whole coaching staff has been fired. Did anyone see this coming? We weren't sure. There was a lot of chatter. Can he keep going? How much is he responsible for how the team went? good or bad. So all this we're going to discuss today. So much to be talked about, but let's just congratulate the team award winners, Adam Fox, who won team MVP, Ryan Lindgren, Players Player Award, and then Brendan Smith, who we all like, won the Good Guy Award, which is the John Halligan Award. John, I've known since 1977. He was a good man. He passed away. And because of who he was, so likable, they named that trophy after him. So congrats to the players. And yes, today we're going to discuss all sorts of things. First time on the show, very popular Brandon Dubisky as he as he was uh, playing for the New York Rangers will be on the show today. And of course, I got to ask him about Tortorella because Tortorella is one of the men that's being considered as a coach. His thoughts on him, he's been with him. He knows him really well, good and bad. So we're going to get into all that. And of course, Larry Brooks. So Molly, let's get to it. We got to get away from hockey for a minute. We just had Mother's Day. How did you celebrate Mother's Day. Oh, that's very nice of you to ask. And as everybody listening probably already knows that my mom absolutely loves herself some Ron Duguay. So what did my wonderful co-host do and wonderful producer Jake Brown do? They sent her flowers. So she was very, very happy. And uh, you made her entire year, not even just her day. I'd go as far to say her entire year. So thank you guys for doing that. (laughs) Is there any chance that we get a chat with her today? Is she at work? (laughs) She's at work, unfortunately. She's at school still. Can we give her a surprise call? 
call? Like, would she pick up? Is she teaching at the moment? At She's probably in meetings at the moment, unfortunately. But I appreciate the sentiment, and so will she when she listens back to this later. I made sure that it said from Ron Duguay, and then like parentheses and Jake. I was like, I wanted the Ron to be the highlight of the greeting card. If we're gonna that, be so. honest here, she wanted to scribble your name out. No, yeah, no. I mean, I don't. I almost didn't put my name. I, I don't know why I did. I really should have just put Ron. No, you helped uh, coordinate it. You. you well, she could Photoshop and cut it out. I won't be offended. If she wants to cut it out, she's more than welcome to. And Ron, we got to give Molly the Rookie Podcaster of the Year Award. Oh, uh, she is a newcomer. It, so we'll, we'll, uh, we'll have cookies for you uh, this summer. There you go. Part of the reason why mom got the flowers is our back way of saying thank you, mom, for giving us Molly. Because she's been a great addition to the show this season. We appreciate you, your insights. And who you are. And uh, so we look forward to continue. But today, what is on your mind today? Because there's so much in the news. Yes, lots, lots more cleaning house for new president and general manager Chris Drury. The last bit was taken care of, and that is David Quinn. He will no longer be with the New York Rangers. And, you know, to be honest with you, I saw this going either one of two ways. And I think the first way of keeping him on and giving him one more shot with the team wasn't going to bode well for anybody because not only would he know that he was on the hot seat and the team knew would know that he was on the hot seat. I just don't think it would bode well for their keeping their eyes on the prize and blocking out all the outside noise of that sort of stuff or the other way would have been he had to go given the fact that Jim Dolan said that he wanted a culture change and you can't change the culture without ripping everything up from the inside out and starting fresh in all aspects. Once I heard that Jim Dolan or read that he told our dear colleague Larry Brooks that he wanted a culture change and that he felt that JD and and Jeff Gordon weren't weren't the guys to do that. They're the ones that brought on David Quinn. And yes, Chris Drury did have a hand in bringing on David Quinn as well. But I think that they needed a fresh start and that they also need an experienced coach to take this young team to the next level. Yeah, well, let me just add to that because I wasn't sure because we were going to find out because what was in question was the character of the team, the type of leadership they had on the team. Were they tough enough? Were they built to do well in the playoffs? And we couldn't see they weren't. We weren't sure. I wasn't sure was if Coach Quinn was really responsible for that. Was it management? Was it president? They get fired and only time will tell. Well, that time has come and he's gone. So obviously he had some to, something to do with, for an example, Lemieux. I felt I like Lemieux on the team. He was gone. And it seemed when Lemieux left, he was happy to leave. That was a, a sign there. So having said all that, coaches that are being suggested, and I love this one because it's all (laughs) over the news right now, and we're going to have Larry on shortly. Coach Tortorella, is it possible Coach Tortorella comes on? So Molly, I got to ask you, because you're going to be talking to Larry. Will you ask him, does he think it's a good idea to bring coach back? I think everybody and their mother wants to know what Larry Brooks thinks about the possibility of John Tortorella coming back to New York. But as far as my own personal opinion, I think it would be detrimental to bring John Tortorella back to New York for this reason and this reason alone. This young team will fall apart under someone that has his type of temperament. You need to find a balance between a John Tortorella and between a David Quinn. David Quinn had that nurturing, developmental outlook 
that really went over well with the young players. But in order to get to the next level, they need a little bit more of a hard-nosed kind of guy. But that is not John Tortorella. John Tortorella is so much further than a hard-nosed guy. (laughs) There aren't even words to describe his sort of temperament that he brings behind the bench. And granted, no knock on him. He is a, I think he's a great coach. I do. But that being said, I just don't think that what he brings to a team would bode well with this group, with this young team. It just, I don't think that it's what they need right now. I think they need a balance of a John Tortorella and a David Quinn meet somewhere in the middle that will be able to take them to the next level. Well, I'm in agreement with John. Uh, He does get players to play. He gets them to play hard, but a lot of it has to do with fear. And with these young players, not only are they young, but we kind of know their personalities. Crying's not allowed in hockey. He would have a few (laughs) players in tears. Because uh, John is John. I don't think he's going to change. I mean, he's probably gotten a little softer over the years, but he would be, he would expect certain things and certain players. And he speaks his mind, and sometimes he goes over the top. So when I look at my list of guys, and one of them I know very well, and one of them is Jerry Gallant. Jerry did a very good job in Vegas, took that team to the finals. So he's a man to consider. Not only does he expect his players to play, but he's a very likable guy, very uh, soft-spoken. And he was a tough guy. I played with him in Detroit, tough guy uh, who played I played with him in Detroit. So I like the idea of Jerry Gallant. The other guy that I like that I don't know so well, but I hear good things, and that's Rick Tockett. Now, Rick, another guy who uh, he just walks in the room and he commands that room without saying much of anything. That's the guy you like, who doesn't have to say much of anything. He just expects you to man up, play a certain way, and he would know the type of players to add on to this team, whatever the pieces are missing. So those are the two front runners for me. Uh, So I guess that's going to rule out Mike Keenan, because Mike is another John Tortorella. So we're not going to even talk Mike Keenan. Yeah, so I was thinking that to wrap things up here, you and I should grade the Rangers this season, just A, B, C, D, F, Y, I guess. And then I'd love to hear who you thought was the most impressive, the least impressive, and the biggest surprise, because I know exactly who I think, but... I'd love to hear your thoughts, Ron. So first things first, what grade do you give the Rangers? Taking everything into consideration, not the fact that they missed the playoffs, but coming into the season and what they became at the end. Wow. Well, (laughs) uh, you know what? I got to go with a B. I can't give Mm -hmm. them an A because A is just, that would be them making the playoffs. But I I have no problems giving them a B because I, every game I enjoyed watching this team. Now, this team was a little bit, they got started in a uh, awkward way because of COVID. Training camp was in there. Lafreniere really needed training camp. Certain players didn't have a good start. Zabinijad didn't have a good start because of COVID. So if you eliminate some of those things, and then Panarin is out for nine games because of his situation, if you eliminate all those things, they possibly could have made the playoffs. And as far as Coach Quinn, the leader, I felt overall he did a good job. I liked the way they play. In his puck control, it's scoring goals. It's just that he still needed more time to tweak. And and I think his downfall is the type of players that were missing on the team. So overall, I would want to give them a nice B. That's very generous of you. I think that's a very nice, mild temperament <laughs> grading from you there, Ron. Would expect nothing less. I, on the other hand, have a little bit more harsh of a, of a track record. Although not as, not as harsh as some people might think I'm about to give. I would give them borderline a C plus B minus. Taking everything under consideration... 
the fact that it was a shortened season, playing in the toughest division, and all of the outside noise that they had to deal with, I will lean more toward a B minus to be nicer. But that being said, I think it was unacceptable how they started the season. And granted, that was because Mika got COVID and he acknowledged this past week that it had a bigger effect on him than he ever let on during the season. So can't knock him for that. But that being said, the other veterans on the team, Chris Kreider and all those guys just didn't get to the off to the start that they needed. And especially being someone that was in on those preseason interviews they were fully aware that in a shortened season, a bad start was going to be detrimental. And yet it was still a pretty poor start. And it really just messed them up for the rest of the season, in my opinion. So I'll give them a B minus, granted that they almost made the playoffs, given everything that they had to go through was a, a pretty pretty big accomplishment in itself. So that's that's where I'll rest my case, Ron. Molly, you were a B minus C plus student, right? <laughs> at, at UMass back at, at the zoo with parting with Zach Jones. You were you were a C plus student. I never partied with Zach Jones. Let's get this on the record here right now. That never happened. I missed him. He came in after me. I was graduated in a real life person by the time that's I know you got some sorority and frat house stories, Molly. It's fine. We'll, we'll share those for the off season. In a different <laughs> when, when it's a slow news day, but a lot of news here. Before you go to Larry Brooks, since it's the season finale, is there a name or a couple names you think the Rangers should target this summer that could really boost the team, that could take this team back to the playoffs? We'll start with you, Ron. I don't know of anyone out there because everyone's talking Eichel, and I'm not sure Eichel is the guy that's missing on this team because Eichel's another skill player that uh, could get you points but he would cost you a lot of money. And uh, does he, from what I've seen him in Buffalo, it's not like he's taken a strong leadership position there in Buffalo, regardless of how bad things are. So I don't think Eichel is the guy that would make things much different. So I wouldn't go in that direction. That's another thing we're going to ask Larry, his thoughts on that. But I don't think Eichel's a guy. Other than that, I'm not quite sure who's available out there. You must have strong leadership qualities. You must have a little bite to you. Like, get angry, right? Even a guy like Bergeron. You look at a guy in Boston, Bergeron. Here's a guy. He's a nice guy. But when he has to play tough, when he has to get physical, he will do it. And so you need guys like that who are willing to pay a little bit of a price, get angry, get emotional at the right time. And that's the type of guy that they would need to find. The thing is, that guy's hard to find because teams aren't going to let him go. I 100% agree. I am not even going to float any names out there. They just need to bring in some muscle, some physicality, and some experience. Because if they are going to fulfill this Jim Dolan dream, basically, that they are going to become a playoff contending team in the next two to three years, they need to bulk up. There's really no other way to phrase it, to say it. They just need to be harder around the edges. They need to be able to balance out all of this top six t- skill and talent that they have. And these players that, you know, the Vitaly Krasovs, Capo Caco, Alexi Lafreniere, they need to go into this offseason and they need to put on more muscle. They need to continue to develop in that way as well, because without it, they're just going to continue to get bodied off the puck left and right and just manhandled by teams like the Islanders and the Bruins. So that's the one area that 
they just need to address this offseason. I don't care what his name is. I don't care where he's from. Wayne Simmons, you know, anybody just bring a guy that focuses on that his game is about his physicality and that he has the experience in this league that he can add to that leadership core that is still pretty quiet. Yes, there's arguments to be made. Kreider could be captain. Even Mika could be captain. But even I still think that both of those guys, maybe Kreider more like Mika more so quiet, but I just don't think that there's a true leader just yet. And that's an area that they also need to address. I have the answer. Alex Ovechkin, free agent. Oh my God. How about that? There Jake, you go. That's that's our <laughs> NHL insider, Jake Brown here, everybody. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Sidney Crosby. Sidney Crosby. Listen, <laughs> Ovechkin's a free agent. He's the number one on the list. Why not just pay him? I mean, yeah, at this the point. Thing is, we're, we're saying this now because we're going to have Dubinsky on. He's the one that started this whole uh, Ovechkin versus <laughs> Crosby thing. Huh. So we need to ask him his thoughts moving forward in the playoffs. Which guy is going to lead their team to the finals? But Molly, I'm going to end this with one thing. And you talk about leadership, um, knowing how to win, guy that's won before. And it leads me to one guy who's actually not playing now. So I have to ask you, do you think there's room somewhere for Messier to come back and be part of the New York Ranger organization? It's so funny that you asked me that because I have been so invested in reading over everybody's opinions on Mark Messier since he had that interview, which was coincidentally, it was with Michael Kay. It was coincidentally the day, hours after they fired JD and Gordon. It was almost like the stars had aligned for him to be able to sell himself in this interview. And a lot of the things that he said made sense. I will totally give him that. That being said, he does kind of have an, I guess, no offense to him at all. Mark Messier was my mother's savior of 1994. <laughs> so I think she'd kill me if I ever spoke poorly about him. But he has a bit of an outdated outlook on teams and the game now. So I'm not sure how that would go with Chris Jury. But Chris Jury is kind of an interesting balance of analytics, but also kind of an old school respect for the game. He has a nice balance to him so maybe Mark Messier could be the devil's advocate for the more old school type way that the Rangers really do need but I think that because Chris Jury is operating under both president and general manager I and the fact that Mark Messier has no coaching experience I don't think that he'll come in a coaching role that being said I don't really know what other role he could join in but I don't think it'll be a coaching role because they he's made it clear he wants he wants a vet. He wants a vet behind the bench. He might not have experience coaching, but he's got experience in the streets and in the alleys. <laughs> and in the alleys. He will whoop your ass, and that's what the <laughs> Rangers need. Give me Mark Messier and uh, get, get the cage fight on outside of the garden. I'm not a hockey insider, but Larry Brooks is, and we're going to call him Mr. Scoop. There it is. He's going to be in the Geico Scoops commercial that you see every five minutes because he's got scoops left and right. He broke the... Biggest stories with the Rangers the past two weeks. And Larry Brooks joins us next here on Up in the Blue Seats. Joining us next is our New York Post Hall of Fame Rangers beat writer, Larry Brooks. Follow Larry on Twitter at NYP underscore Brooksy and read his stories in the Post and at NYPost.com. 
Rangersland.com. All right, Larry, the news has just kept coming from Rangersland, and I hope you have put in for a fat vacation in the near future because you have earned it. <laughs> pretty, pretty straightforward question for you. Why was David Quinn fired? You know, until Chris Drury speaks, it's conjecture. I think the Rangers believed that they needed an experienced NHL head coach, someone with a track record of success to take them to the next level. I think that's one. But I think, two, in the end, you know, we hold players accountable. And, and I held the Rangers' top players accountable all year long. And if you're going to hold players accountable, you also have to hold coach accountable. First, let me say that from a personal standpoint, this is very disappointing. It's very sad for me. David Quinn is the person you would pick to be your brother, your uncle, your best friend. He is as compassionate and as caring a person whom I've met in doing this in four decades. So from a personal standpoint, I'm very, very sorry that it happened. I'm, I'm very sorry he's not going to come back. From an objective professional standpoint, though, I, I think he did a good job fulfilling the definition of what he was hired to do, and that was develop young players. And, and I, I know there's been, a, you know, there's been much talk and, and a fair amount of controversy about should he have had Kako on the second line? You know, why wasn't this guy playing in the top six? How come Lafreniere couldn't get on? You know, why did Lafreniere get 11 minutes instead of 13? How come he played Brett Howden instead of Leah Sanderson? I think he did a very good job in, in developing these young players on the team. I think, I think he was insistent that they learn and play a 200 by 85 foot game. Obviously, contributed to not quite as much as production as people anticipated, or maybe not. Maybe, you know, maybe that didn't have anything to do with it. Because, you know, obviously we know last year that that, that Kako wasn't a very good 200 by 85 foot player, and he didn't score much either. So, but he he was insistent, and he was tough on them. And you know, maybe he was a little bit too tough. Maybe. Maybe he, you know, maybe a pat on the back at different times would have been a cure. Um, but again, we, we're not privy to the conversations he has behind closed doors with his players. And, you know, getting back to my original statement about him as a person, he cares about all these guys. I mean, you know, he, he has he has relationships with players he coached 10 years ago and that, that are ongoing and he texts and and so he's invested in them succeeding. So I do think he did a good job with the younger players. I think, though, that in the end, it's the coach's responsibility to see to it that his best players play their best in the biggest games. And I, and I think the failure of the Rangers' top players to play well in big games this year comes back on him to a certain degree. He is the coach. There was a disconnect that evolved as the season went on between him and the top players on the team, and and they thought that it was it was evident very early by the entitlement they showed by refusing to get off on the power play. I mean, I had never seen anything like that. I mean, yeah, I mean, Duke's played with with Espo, and you know, <laughs> Bill was a master of the three and a half minute shift, pretending not to see by staying on the other side of the ice. But you know, this is this is 50 years later, and that doesn't go anymore in the NHL. And and um, you know, they they just didn't play well enough in those games against the Islanders. I think those were I those I think those Islander games were watershed events for for this franchise and and they and it, and it kind of forms a bridge between 
the three games in the bubble last year and the three games at the end of this year against the Islanders, and and they basically were the same. And I, and I don't think that you know I don't I don't think you know that uh, sat well with anybody. Um, and I and I also think there were just, there was just too much. They were you know they they were resilient, but they had to be resilient too many times. Uh, you know there were just too many bad games, and their bad games became very bad games. You know, early in the year, they lost games they should have won because their goaltending wasn't wasn't quite up to par the first few weeks of the season. And there there were there were games they could have won. You, you think back to the start of the year, the games in Pittsburgh early in the year, they probably they probably had the better play for you know forty of the sixty minutes, maybe even more, but their goaltending wasn't good enough. So. You know, in the, at the start of the year, they were playing reasonably well in games they were losing. But I think as the year went on, when they lost, they looked horrible. I, you know, and I think the spikes in the season, the challenges that they had to overcome, there were challenges every team in the league had to overcome. But I think they were disproportionate to the challenges the Rangers faced. These spikes and these spikes in the season, uh, the games where they just could not get going for the first thirty or forty minutes. They had too many bad starts. And I, I think that ultimately fell back on uh, the head coach. And, and certainly he has a degree of responsibility for that. So you're hoping John Tortorella comes back, right? That's, that's your uh, favorite for the coaching search? <laughs> <laughs> well, I will tell you this. If John Tortorella comes back, he and I will purchase the rights to our own material <laughs> and we will stream them on our own YouTube channel. We are we are not giving this away again into the public domain. I promise. I promise. <laughs> Trademark <laughs> it. We we're gonna profit right. off of this. It's prime no, time entertainment. Yeah, we we are not gonna make that mistake again. Where people, uh, you know, where people cash in on, on our foolishness. That's for sure. We're gonna be <laughs> foolish. There might as well be some profit in it. (laughs) But in all seriousness, you reported in Thursday's paper that Jerry Gallant is the front runner. What could he bring to the organization as well as any of the other guys that are kind of going to be interviewing here? And how much pressure is going to be on this next coach in general, whoever it may be? Gallant is, is, I, I talked to a number of people today about Gallant who commands universal respect. He is a no nonsense guy. Players know where they stand. He's not. He doesn't stand on ceremony. He doesn't. He doesn't suffer mistakes well. Um, he, he's not a cuddly guy, but he's a supportive guy. Um, he believes in puck pursuit hockey, fast hockey. You know, up tempo, um, tracking the puck, always, always, always putting pressure on the puck carrier. Very, very entertaining. I mean, you know, in Florida. They, put, they had a very entertaining team in Vegas, obviously, when they went to the final in, in the next couple of years. They were very entertaining. He's, he's respected by his players. And, you know, I'm, I'm told he, he's, he's a really a low-profile guy. He's not big for the spotlight. He just wants to do his job. You know, I, I, I don't know. You know, I, I wouldn't expect him. I've been told that he's not the kind of guy who coddles young players. So there will be some expectations there. And I think it's going to be important. And listen, I mean, I think he's at the top of the, I, I've been told he's at the top of the list, but there are interviews to, to be conducted and, and uh, there's a process to go through. 
So I, I think that no matter who the Rangers hire as their head coach, it's it's important that they have a, a very strong staff in support of him. There's Gallant. We know. Listen, um, I I I don't think Tortorella is coming back. I just don't think this is the time. I, I just don't think this is the right time. I think if I think if he had been available when Quinn was hired, I think he would have been. I think he would. I think there would have been a pretty good chance that they would have looked at him, even though you don't think of him as a developmental coach. That's basically what he is. But I, but, but with with, and then he, and obviously he can go farther than that. I, I'm, you know, I'm not limiting him. But what he does is when he comes in to a team, he just breaks down that team and just breaks every player down and builds them up in his image. And it takes a little time. It, you know, it does. It, it, it's a two or three year process. And I, you know, he did it here, but the people here were Ryan Callahan and Brandon Dubinsky and Dan Girardi and Derek Stepan, Ryan McDonough and, and Mark Stahl. That's not the same cast of characters as Capo Caco and Alexei Lafreniere and Vitaly Kratsov and Adam Fox and Igor Shosturkin and Mika Zibanejad. You know, it's, it's not quite the same. And uh, so I, I just don't I just don't think this is the right personnel fit for Tortorella. I I, I would really enjoy it. You know, I would. I think it would be a very be entertaining as hell. No, I would. It'd be a very interesting dynamic. I just don't think it's a fit. And 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 again, if if not Gallant, then then uh, there are some interesting people out there. I think Bob Hartley is would be a very very interesting choice. Uh, of course, uh, Drury played for, for Hartley when they won the Cup in, in Colorado. Uh, he has just won the Cup and he has just won the championship in the KHL. He won a championship in junior hockey. He won a championship in, in the AHL. And the fact that he was able to win a Stanley Cup in 2001 and then win a Gagarin Cup in 2021 tells you that he is evolving um, as the game does. and. Um, you know, he was successful in Atlanta, bringing the Thrashers to the playoffs for the only time. He had a, a, a he did a good job in Calgary with that club, and so I, you know, I think he's an interesting alternative. I I, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't recommend Mike Babcock for this job, but he'll be out there. Bruce Boudreaux, if Bruce Boudreaux is there. Claude Julian, who is a very good coach, um, is there. So. This is going to be an interesting search for Chris, but I, I also think that if he and Gallant connect, then I would think he, he might move quickly because there might be other, you know, there, there are going to be other openings and Gallant certainly will be at the top of anybody's list to interview. So if, if that's who the Rangers zero in on, I don't know that it's going to be a long process. But again, this is Chris's first coaching search on, on an NHL level. He did it in Hartford a couple of years ago. And it's critical that he make the right decision because relating to pressure, I don't know that there's you know more pressure on here than in a number of cities where their teams are expected to contend. Like I don't I don't know that there'll be more pressure here than will be on Vino if he's back next year in Philly. But there is a clear mandate here to make the playoffs. You know, so I think I think um I think everyone's aware of that. You know, the players obviously are. Every one of them who spoke uh, on breakup day following their ex meetings made a point of of talking about it. And and the other and the other thing actually is is about 
Quinn is that had they brought Quinn back and they had started three, six, and one, there would have been an immediate coaching watch. And I don't think that would have been, well, first of all, I don't think it would be, I don't think it'd be good for them to start three, six, and one regardless. I, I think that would have been, that would have presented challenges from the start. You know, as soon as they went into a dip, as soon as the first dip would arrive, there would have been questions about the coach. And I don't, I don't think that's a good environment. I don't think, I don't think anyone believes that's a constructive environment. Larry, I need to continue on the coaching search because there's so much talk on the internet and everyone's talking about who would be a good coach. And the one guy that you did not mention that I have him in my top two, Gallant, I like because I know Jerry. Play with him in Detroit. I know his character. I know he won right out of the he, – he did really well with what he had in Vegas. And so that's – when you make it to the finals, you, you're doing something right. And everyone comes back and says – He's a very likable guy. He commands the room in a certain way where the players know they need to play. So he has a certain demeanor about him. But another guy that's kind of like that is Rick Tockett. What are your thoughts on Rick Rick Tockett? I actually, about a week ago, thought that Tockett might be at the top of their list. But I I, I think he just doesn't quite have the track record. It, It sounds to me, I talked to a few people about Tockett last week, and it sounds to me as if he has a lot of the qualities that Gallant has. You know, no nonsense guy, commands the room, knows what he wants. Um, he was obviously good with younger players in Arizona, but he really he just doesn't have a background of NHL success on the coaching level. He, he hasn't been at it long enough, um, and you know he he hasn't had the same kind of teams, I guess. So, um, but I like I like Rick Tockett, and and I am remiss by for not uh, mentioning him in in uh, when I was talking to Molly. So I agree with you. I think I think Rick Tockett would be a very interesting person of interest for me if if I were doing this. And so, in moving forward, either one of these guys are going to want to change the chemistry of the team. They're going to want it build it in a little bit different way. They're going to need to bring in a couple of players that they think would provide leadership, maybe a little more toughness. Is there anyone out there that you think that might be a good fit for the Rangers? I know we've already talked about Eichel, and and I know that you've already commented that we don't think that he would be worth the $10 million bringing him in because he's another skilled guy, and we haven't seen enough leadership out of him. At least I haven't. Is there anyone else out there that you could say that it would be a good idea to bring him in? Listen, I don't know if Matthew Kachuk is obtainable. I don't know. I know that there's a lot going on in Calgary. They have a decision to make about just how deep of a restart, reload, rebuild, whatever one of those words you want to use. But they they, they need to turn it over. I, you know, Johnny Gaudreau only has one year left on his deal. So, you know, I don't know what they would get back for him. Sean Monahan, you know, he's he's kind of been on the market for a couple of years. But the guy there who would change everything for the Rangers is Matthew Kachuk. And I don't I honestly don't know if he is gettable. I think every one, just as everything, has a price. And I am sure the Rangers would be able to pay whatever price Calgary demanded in return if if expensive enough. There are some players who I would certainly refuse to include in a deal, but not very many. To tell you the truth, for a player like that, you know, he immediately would go onto their top line and change the dynamic. And and I and I don't want to speak for you, Ronnie, but you know, it, it, you know, we have talked all year about their need for both, you know, for adding some toughness, for adding some leadership, from adding 
you know, um, sandpaper, what, you know, whatever, whatever buzzword one wants to use. I think their third and fourth lines, of course, you know, need strengthening. But what they need is to change the dynamic at the top. Their, their players are so talented, but they, they, they need muscle there. They need, need to have a plan B. And, you know, I, I, you know, you could see a, a Matikachuk just opening up space for Mika Zibanejad and or Kemi Panarin. And, and as a free agent, Zach Hyman in, in Toronto, you know, is a top three guy, top six guy who establishes, who establishes that kind of presence for the Maple Leaf. Now, Hyman plays almost exclusively on the left. And, you know, one of the issues the Rangers have in this, in this sort of oddly constructed team is they are so deep down the left, there's really nothing they can do with Panarin and Kreider and Lafreniere. And, and I think as it stacks up now, you know, we're one week past the end of this season and, and you know, months away from next season. But I think you would probably look at a depth chart now that would have Kreider on the third line. And then depending what, you know, however you wanted to designate your top two lines, you'd have Panarin and Lafreniere. So what happens when you if you sign Zach Hyman? Does that mean the Rangers, for the next seven years, can't get another left wing? I mean, you know, is that what it means? I mean, you know, Kreider has a no move clause. Obviously, the front year is not going anywhere, and neither is Panarin. So are are you telling me that you, you're not going to be able to address the left side? I you know I I don't know how that that works. And and then you start looking, and there's Kako and there's Buknevich. Um, and there's Kravtsov, and, and that's part of the reason I'm saying if the Rangers are going to make a substantial move, they are going to need to trade a player or two they don't want to trade. It's as simple as that. They're, they're not going to get a top six game changer, team changer, by packaging together young prospects who have played you know 10 games or fewer you know, are, are you know have have not played in the NHL yet. You know, they're they're it's going to hurt the Rangers. You know, the Rangers are going to feel some pain if they're going to get a player to play in their top six who can change the dynamic. And I think need that. Um, I I think you know maybe a, a maybe the coaching change. Um, it certainly brings a different dynamic. Whoever it is, is is different than the person that came before. So maybe you know maybe that is one area where the Rangers will improve in their dynamic, but it rests on the top six. Well, Larry, we'll reconvene for the next slate of Rangers news, but thanks for all this season. Well, thanks, Molly. I mean, I think you guys put on a terrific show and really, you know, everybody associated with with it, the producers, you dudes, you've really taken the show to the next level. It's been a pleasure to to participate. Oh, well, thank you, Larry. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's Our special guest this week was a Ranger not too long ago. He spent the first six seasons of his NHL career in New York and then went on to play seven seasons with the Blue Jackets, awarded the Stephen McDonald Extra Effort Award during his rookie season. It was clear his Rangers tenure would be memorable. And we love timely guests on this show. And this guy will be able to offer a lot of perspective on several different topics. So please welcome Brandon Dubinsky. I think it'd be a crime in our listeners' eyes if I didn't start off with what's on everybody's minds. And that's the possibility of round two of John Tortorella in New York. Now, I'm not saying I personally think it's going to happen, but given the news of Quinn's dismissal and Tortorella being on the market, 
naturally it's something people are talking about. So as someone who has played for him with both the Rangers and the Blue Jackets, what was your experience like? And do you think a young team like the Rangers would do well under a coach of Tortorella's, how do I say this nicely, temperament? Yeah, I've had a few different, say a couple different lives that I've lived under under Torts. You know, my first life was being a young player in New York and, you know, he came in and gave me a ton of opportunity. I learned a lot from him. I think we had a little bit of a rocky finish in New York when I got traded. Then he came to Columbus and to be honest, I wasn't too thrilled when he became the coach of the Blue Jackets. We had a few good seasons together here and then uh a little bit of a rocky finish at the end again. So as far as a fit, I mean, I think, you know, with a, with a young team, I, I think he, he's better suited for a team that has, you know, some, some veteran players and, you know, really good, strong leadership and, you know, not having a captain there and, you know, having such a, a young group. I'm not sure if I think he'd be the best suited to take over that job. And, that's just my opinion. So shifting gears a little bit, shortly after the Rangers line brawl in the last game against the Capitals, which was, of course, in retaliation to the NHL's lack of punishment for Tom Wilson, you had tweeted at some of your former teammates, Brandon Prust, Stu Bickle, and Mike Rupp, saying that you've seen this before. And who could forget that line brawl against the Devils in March 2012? I'm curious what it's like behind the scenes leading up to a line brawl like that. You know, how much of it is actually spoken about in the locker room? You know, could you just take us through that? Previous game against New Jersey, I ended up leaving the game because I tried to get out of the way and he punched me right in the nose and my nose would stop bleeding for a few hours. So I ended up having to leave that game. And Stu Bickle and I were, were roommates on the road. And so leading up to that game and talking about it, obviously we, we saw the lineup that they started uh, and then, you know, Torts came in and then Stu ended up coming up and taking the face off to fight Ryan Carter. So it's kind of a crazy story. You know, he was like, you know, I'm going to get this guy for you. I'm not sure if he remembers saying that to me or he doesn't, but yeah, I think Mark Stahl and I were both playing defense when that happened. So it was crazy. I mean, the lead up was you just knew something was going to happen. Um, I think that's, I'm sure, what the players also were feeling this time around. And as I tweeted, I was actually in New York getting some dental work done, believe <laughs> it or not. It would have been nice to be at that game and, and, and watch that because, you know, you just don't see that stuff in the game anymore. And not that everyone loves it. A lot of people say they don't love it, but everyone loves to see that. And, you know, it was just nice to see, honestly, not just the Rangers step up for – you know, their star and, and Panarin and, you know, Bruce Davis and those guys. But, you know, also for, you know, the guys, the Caps guys, the answer the bell for one of their guys, too. It just doesn't happen that much, uh, I think, in today's game as, as much as it used to. Brandon, I need to ask you, uh, we have talked about uh, leadership and the lack of leadership on the New York Ranger team. Uh, the fact that they haven't been able to name a captain. With what you know, because you've been part, you've worn that A, you've been a captain on your team. How would you describe, for those listening, how would you describe in the NHL, what is a good captain? Because often what happens, they'll put a letter on the best player on a team, but he may not be the best captain as far as uh, overall knowing how to uh, be a good leader on and off the ice. So how would you describe to the folks that are listening, what is a good captain that you've witnessed? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I think, you know, you see that a lot with the best players. It's because, you know, you want to keep these guys happy and whatnot. But I haven't played on that many teams um, and had that many captains. But I will say with some of the captains that I have had, uh, 
you know, a captain to me is a guy who just, he's naturally a guy that you follow. Like you kind of listen to him, you kind of trust him. And that guy for me was, was crazy, which is crazy enough to think about, you know, where he's at now um, in the leadership position there in New York. But, um, you know, Nick Foligno was also a great captain. He grew up, he, you know, he kind of grew into that role. I'm not sure that was the way it started. But, you know, for me, it's just a guy that, that comes every single day and he's not only willing to say it, but he's willing to do it. And, you know, all the guys learn to build a respect around them and, and trust them. And, you know, and then also have that ability to have, you know, be that segue sort of between the players and, you know, and the coaches and management and be willing to step up when the players want something or unhappy, you know, that are willing to step up on, on both sides. So that's what makes a good captain to me. And like I said, I think Nick Foligno here in Columbus grew into the role. And um, obviously when, when we got Chris really early in my career, um, before he became the captain, it was really natural for him. So Yeah, another thing I want to add, Brandon, uh, the quality of a good captain is a captain that's willing to go after the opposing captain. And what I mean by that, <laughs> You went after Crosby. You had no problem going after him and getting in his face, and I admire that. And because of that, you've gotten to know him. And then you started not long ago the Crosby versus Ovechkin. Who would you take? And everyone was making comments on that. So what is it? Why did you start that? What was on your mind when you got started on that? It was, first of all, it was accidental, the whole thing that kind of – and it sort of got a little bit blown out of proportion. I was doing another podcast with some – some guys here in Ohio, and I think it got up, brought up the fact that I fought both of them. And then um, I just went and said, you know, I went on and said that, you know, if I had to have my choice, I would, I would take Ovechkin. And then I sort of doubled down on it. But it was, you know, really innocent. And I sort of followed up with a couple of tweets. Listen, both of these guys are, are first out Hall of Famers, unbelievable players. And I just, if I had my choice, the way that I played the game, the way that I thought the game should be always be played, you know, that was my choice. So I don't change that stance. But again, you know, you get a lot of people there. They love Crosby. They love Ovechkin. And I guess they love controversy. So, Well, we appreciate your honesty. Uh, and moving forward, the players are about to start. Uh, the playoffs are going to start here soon. I know you're watching enough hockey to kind of give us your thoughts on possibly two teams that end up in the finals in the Stanley Cup. Who are teams that you like? Oh, geez. You know, I think I would love to see Colorado in the finals for, for the West, uh, partially because I think that's my son's favorite team. And he's a huge Nathan McKenna fan. So Colorado, I mean, they got they got it all. And then in the East, you know, this is a hard choice for me because I played my entire career in the East. And, you know, maybe Tampa, maybe a repeat in Tampa. I mean, for me now, you know, watching hockey, it's just entertainment. It's fun to watch. I love, I love watching these teams that, you know, are fast-paced, high-skilled. So I think, you know, that would be an unbelievable final to watch as far as just, you know, the, the high skill, high speed, you know, level of play. So that, that would be my choice. One of those two teams, I'd say. You talked about getting to know Chris Drury. So I'm curious what you think he'll be able to bring into this dual president and general manager role. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the first thing is, like I said, I think from day one when I got to know him, um, you know, he was just a guy that you naturally were able to follow. He was a leader. And, you know, that was his playing days. I'm sure he's grown as a person, you know, in his management role even more. So, you know, what I guess what I ex expect to see from him is just, you know, he's kind of steady. You know, he's an even keel guy. You know, I think he thinks things out. I'm sure he's coming up with a game plan. I think, you know, whether or not Mr. Dolan thought that they were underperforming or not, I think, you know, they've come along. 
they've come back, I think, a lot faster than some people expected, even though this year was, you know, maybe a little bit disappointing for Rangers fans. But people got to understand, like, you know, these players in this time getting COVID tested every day, getting secluded in their, in their, you know, houses or hotel rooms and everything else, like, this is a normal life. So it's asking a lot for these players to perform at a high level. And I think everybody's personality is different in how they handle these type of situations. So, uh, you know, it's just, it's a tough, you know, situation that these guys have been put in. Well, thanks so much for the time, Brandon. We'll definitely get you back on the show next season. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it and look forward to talking to you guys soon. wraps up episode 56 the michael sauer edition and season two finale of up in the blue seats our rangers podcast from the new york post thanks to jake brown and sarah mccrory for producing the show do us a solid and give us a five star rating and write in a nice review on apple podcasts we appreciate it for number 10 ron duguay i'm molly walker we will be back in the off season once big rangers news hits Thanks for your support in season two. Talk to you all this summer.